Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. I was not raised in church. I was not raised at all hearing the gospel. I was raised in a a home where it was honest, it was truthful, it was real, but there was also real alcoholics and, 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 and real life in the sense that my dad said I was born for two reasons, a bartend and cut grass. And uh, we actually have a lot of Irish uh, history in our family. My mom was a Gregory. Uh, my sister-in-law, she was born just up the road here with her family up in Lauren, I believe it is. And and so we probably have as much Irish in us as anything, and so that meant there's a lot of drinking going on in our home. And my dad would, after my mom and dad met at Mississippi State, which is a university, they would go into the professional football world. My dad was a professional football player uh, in the NFL and then would go into professional football as a coach. And uh, so my whole life I've been raised in that world. And so at the same time, I was raised to cut his grass. I was loved, but I was raised to cut his grass, and I was raised to be his bartender. And when it came to God, when it came to church, here's the difference. My mom was Catholic. My dad was Baptist. That meant we were nothing. There was never a conversation about God. There was never a conversation about the Bible. Uh, Even at Christmas or Thanksgiving, uh, I would ask, why don't we, or, or Easter, why don't we go to church? Why don't we... Why don't we pray a prayer? And uh, maybe we should just go like the rest of the neighborhood. And my dad, to his credit, would say, Joe, we're not against Jesus and we're not against the church. That's, that's just not us. We don't do that. But we also know this. And this is something that he taught us without even realizing about what it meant to serve the Lord. He said, we think that if you go to church at Christmas or if you go to church at Easter, you ought to go the week after Easter and the week after Christmas. You don't mess with God. You don't play with God. You either give him your whole heart or you don't give it to him at all. And really, that's what he was teaching us without even realizing he was teaching us respectfully the fear of the Lord or what it meant to really to walk with God. I think he knew that. And so with mom being Catholic, dad being Baptist, they both had their bad experiences. I, I'm the third. My two older brothers are 12 and 10 years older than me. And I was born in Canada. My dad was at that time coaching in the Canadian Football League and then And then we begin to move around the U.S. And uh, my dad is now at this time coaching for a team in Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons. Yep, got somebody from Atlanta. And uh, are you really from Atlanta? Like what high school? Okay, I went to Dunwoody High School. So, yeah, shout out. And uh, that's what I love about Ireland. You can just talk to the church while you're preaching. (laughs) I feel like I'm at a comedy club here tonight. We'll be back here tonight. In fact, Ryan will be doing the Holiday Inn. Um, but I, uh, that summer, 1978, I, with my dad, and of course, I'm the ball boy, one of the ball boys for the Atlanta Falcons. And there was a, a, a fellowship of Christian athletes gathering for the football team. So there were two teams there. Of course, the Falcons, they were scrimmaging, and they had actually brought in the Chicago Bears. So the Bears and the Falcons, and I went to this this little chapel service before the, before the game, summer of 1978. So I'm 14 years old. I never heard the gospel, never knew about the plan of God for my life, never knew that God loved me and that this whole world, this whole planet, everything about it was not the original intention of God in that God had made it, he created it, but then there was a fall 
And there was a divide. There was a breakage, if you will, between God and man. And Christ had to come to give his life for our life. That, that without his understanding, without this reality that Christ gave his life to, to forgive us of our sins, to remove the, the, the trespass, to remove the guilt, the shame, all that goes with it. And to really bring to us the purpose of why we are here. Like, what am I on this planet for? And so I'm at this little chapel service sitting in this room with all these football players. And I just begin to hear the gospel in a very clear way that God loves me. So much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. And I remember in that day and in that moment saying, I believe this. I, I, I want Christ in, in my life. And, and I'd go back to my dorm room. And I would literally, in my little room there, I'd say, as I was told, get on your knees and just ask Christ to forgive you of your sins. And I said, I believe this. If God is real, and if this is true, and if he was raised from the dead, Jesus, come into my life, and I give it all to you. And so I believe I was saved that day. Now watch this. I think that everybody has two days. There are two dramatic, if you will, two important days in your life. And one, of course, is the day that you're saved. The first day is the, the conversion to Christ. A lot of people are converted to Christ. I believe in Jesus. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart. He was raised from the dead. But that's not the only conversion. I think there's a second conversion, and that is you're converted to your purpose. You're converted to your calling. In other words, it's the why. You know, there's two important days on this ball, and that is the day you were born, and then it's the day of why you were born. And so fast forward now, I'm at university. I'm playing football at LSU, which is Louisiana State University. And um, January the 10th, 1987, Understand, I had not been to church all that much from that 1978. Now, fast forward to 1987, and those many years, I'd go to church every now and then, and I would go to church, and I would actually feel the presence of God on my life drawing me. But I'd go back. I would drift away. And then now, I'm on a deer stand January the 10th, 1987, which is a deer hunting. I was out in the middle of the woods, and the Lord speaks two things to me. Today will be the greatest day of your life. You'll never be the same. And it was on that day I said, Lord, what are you going to do? I knew that God had just spoken to me. Today is going to be a great day. I'll never be the same from this day. Not knowing four hours later that I'd get the news that my dad would be rushed to the hospital with a heart attack. And as they were bringing him to the hospital, and I would arrive at the hospital about the same time, I walked down the hallway and I went into the, into the, the bathroom, the water closet, as you would call it. And I would just simply say to the Lord, I heard you. And I know, I know I was saved in 1978, but now, God, today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to my calling and to the purpose that you have for me. You made me. You created me. You're not, just, you're not just my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my Master. A lot of people don't understand that. You've got to have it all. And, um, and so I came out of that bathroom, and there was the doctors and talking to my mom. And, of course, they could not revive him that day. But I can honestly say the greatest day of my life was the worst day of my life. Naturally, it was the worst day. Humanly speaking, it was a horrible, horrific day. My dad was only 60 years old, my best friend. But at the same time, what became real that day and what became evident and what was overshadowing every bit of darkness was the light of God's word that made it bearable. It made it, of course, not just... Of, of a purpose that God was going to pull out of what is not good. The Bible doesn't say all things are good. It says, but God can take all things and make it for good. It wasn't good that my dad died. But what came out of that was the goodness of God 
And I heard his voice and God used all of that. I don't think he killed my dad, but God used all of that. He used my openness. He used my brokenness. He used my, in that moment when you are wondering, do you even want to face another day? That that's the moment when God can do his greatest work when we are in our greatest pain. And out of that, I came out and they said the news that your dad could not be revived. And then from that day on, I just began to serve God relentless. I just began to serve God knowing that, that I had that encounter with Christ. I was called. I was dramatically, and I can say with reality, I had the hand of God upon my life. I want you to look with me in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, if you have your Bible. And I want to look at another dramatic calling from the scriptures that I hope to bring some understanding to from this particular story. 1 Kings chapter 19 and it's in the 19th verse. It's the, it's the story, it's the time when Elijah is told by God to go find Elisha. In other words, this is a great picture of God's calling upon you, upon me. And how God finds us. And God comes to us. And the Bible says you were called, or you are being called even right now with a holy calling. This is not normal. This is not average. This is not of the world. This is, this is another world. This is another kingdom. This is a, another way, but the ultimate way, the only way, truth and life. And the Bible says, so he, Elijah, comes and he departs and he finds Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And while he was well, not so fat, but Shaphat, some people thought it said so fat. And while he was plowing, while he was plowing with the 12 pair of oxen, and I want you to get this. So he is plowing. He is with the 12th. He, the Bible says, is given in his all as he was with these 12 pair and he with the 12. Elijah comes over to him. Elijah sees him in this, if you will, he's, he's absorbed in the world. He is, he is in the dirt. He's in the dust. He's, he's in the mud. He's in the world, if you will, the soil of the world. And this man from God. Elijah, who had been sovereignly, supernaturally spoken to by God. In fact, God says, I want you to go and I want you to anoint Elisha for the calling of God that I have for him. Because he's going to take your place. He's He's going to be the succession. He's your succession plan, Elijah. See, when Jesus comes to this world, he constantly did the same thing. He'd go to the seashore. He'd go to the seaside. And he would see brothers literally with the nets, mending their nets or casting their nets. Not one disciple that God calls was unemployed. Not one person was just sitting around doing nothing. Not one. God calls people. He, he puts his hand upon people who are wanting to do something for whatever reason. Could be a bad reason. Look at Paul the Apostle. Acts chapter 9. Killing Christians. Breathing threats and murders against the church. And God says, that's the kind of person I want. Last night, we went out to dinner. And uh, Ryan and I and, and, and Lori were sitting at the, in the, actually we're sitting in the hotel right there at the front, just, just finishing our chat, how to get Ryan to stay when we leave him. And here comes these four, uh, two couples. And uh, I mean, guys, they've had, they've probably had 12 martini espressos or espresso martinis. I don't know how many Guinnesses. And they just... Is that an accent I hear on you? And of course, here it goes. And they're effing this and blanking that. And Ryan's like, hey, welcome to my family. This is. 
And uh, I thought, uh-oh, here we go. This is going to be interesting. And they go, what do you do? What are you here for? What kind of work are you in? I said, well, I'm in sales. <laughs> and management. <laughs> Consulting, that's what I said. I move people forward is really what I said. I, I try to take people from one level to the next, you know. And they're pretty drunk. And uh, I didn't think it was going to be all that productive to go in deep with the gospel at this particular. I was just trying to be nice to them and uh, see if it would lead. I say all that to say it wasn't. It, it did not turn into, I'd love to tell you they're all four here today and they gave their life to Christ. <laughs> but that's why we're leaving Ryan. He's going to work with these people. Those are your people, Ryan. But I say that in that God is the kind of God who who sees people like that in their full-on condition. And in other words, not indifferent. Whatever it is, he sees, he sees Paul, and while he is, he's not indifferent, he's not casual about his religion to the point where he's killing Christians. And God goes, that's the kind of guy I can use. That's the kind of man I'm going to raise up. That's the kind of person. And maybe you're here today, and you're full-on in sin. You're full-on in evil. You're full-on in wickedness. You're full-on in whatever... Whatever problems or whatever issues that we all could potentially find ourselves in. Whatever addiction. And God's not turned off by that. God, God is not a respecter of people in the sense that he looks down and goes, oh, I can't work with you. No, in fact, some of the worst situations, the worst people I know are some of the greatest vessels of God. Because where sin is, grace the more. Grace abounds. So Paul comes to this encounter with God. He's called, right? And so in the same way, you got Elijah. He comes to Elijah. I want to get to it because the Bible tells us he comes over to him and he throws on him his mantle. He throws his mantle on him. The call of God. The, the favor of God. The hand of God. The word of God. You could go through all the various types. He throws on him the gospel, the good news. He, he puts on him... A, an encounter. It's like my day in that, in that hotel room in 1978. It's that mantle that came upon me on that deer stand in, in 1987. I can probably go through this room and start talking about when did you first have the sense that God was real? I was listening to my brother who I thought his first name was Cleveland. But it's actually what? Keelan. And uh, hearing his story about how God pulled him out of darkness, pulled him out of suicide, supernaturally. This is what God wants to do. This is what he came. This is what Jesus, when he came to this world, the Bible says in his public ministry, he went about doing good and setting people free. And they would encounter this mantle. And so, here comes the snow, I guess, and the sleep. We'll never get out of this country, Ryan. And so... As he puts this mantle on him, this call, this, among other things, this purpose. Watch what happens. The Bible says, as it hits him, then he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. Now notice something. Was Elijah standing still after Elisha hits or gets hit with this mantle? No. So you've got to understand something about God. He's moving. He's always moving. He's never the same. He, in other words, he is the same today, yesterday, and forever, but he's never standing in the same location only. He's, he's a God who's about purpose. He's about, and so as the Bible says, 
Elisha gets hit with this mantle. All of a sudden, he's got to run up and he, he runs to Elijah. And he says, please let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye. I want one more roast. One more Guinness. One more hug. One more kiss. I want to spend one more night in my bedroom. I want to sleep one more night with my blanket that I've grown up with. I, I got to have all the things that I'm, I'm about when it comes to comfort. And as he asks him for this kiss from the father and the mother, and then I will follow you. What did Elijah say to him? Go back? Go back again for what have I done to you? And immediately, he doesn't negotiate. He's not trying to figure out a way to to get what he wants, he immediately understands what this means, and it says, and he sacrifices the oxen. He sacrifices everything as it relates to the oxen and the implements. And it says he boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose, and he followed Elijah, and he ministered to him. I want to go to now the book of Luke chapter 9, and then I'll just break a few thoughts for you before we go today in this blizzard. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 9, and they're coming to another village, Jesus preaching, talking about, you don't know the manner of this kingdom. And, but then it says at the very end of verse 56, and now they come to another village. It's Elijah coming to Elisha. It's God in Christ moving throughout the earth, looking to and fro. And as they were going along the road, someone cried out and said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, I don't think you understand. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. And he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. What do you think I've done to you? Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to those at my home. Similar, same call, and then the same response. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, one thing about Christ is that we know he came to die for the world. We know that he has a desire that no one perish, but that everybody has life. There's going to come a day of judgment. It's not when or if it is, it's when it is. And you're going to stand before Christ. And the ultimate, the ultimate question is going to be, what did you do? Or God's going to say, what did you do with my son? What was he to you? Was he just a guru? Was he just a prophet? Was he just an example? Was he just a mentor? Was he just a feeling? Was he just a religion? See, Christ did not come to this planet to establish Christianity. He did not come to bring Christianity. The world doesn't need another religion. The world needs God. He comes to bring himself. Man makes Christianity out of Christ. And then how many know when man begins to get his hands on it, it becomes something else. It becomes perverted. It becomes twisted. It becomes different. It's adding on. As we know in the Old Testament, there were about 667 laws in the Hebrew law. But man takes it and he turns what was of God into the doctrines of God. He makes it the doctrines of man and he adds another 2,000 laws to it. 
And Jesus said, you've made the doctrine of God into the doctrine of man and you've twisted it and you've made it hard for people to come into the kingdom. You've made it hard for people to understand what I've come to do. And it's not anything that man can do, it's what I've done for them. But Christ comes down and he visits and he's visiting in Luke 9. He's visiting, the Bible says, through Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. And then you can kind of connect it all together with Hebrews chapter 2. I think we have one more verse to share with you. And Paul is writing in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 to believers now who had come out of Judaism. And he says, for this reason, because we've been hit with a great calling. Because we've been hit with a great purpose. Because God has thrown His word on us. Your eyes were open. You heard the gospel. You met Christ. You believed that He came. He was sinless. He died. He was raised from the dead. The Bible says He bore our punishment. He bore our sin. Though He was never a sinner. But the Bible says God laid on Him our sin, our guilt, our shame. And so with this, he's talking to Hebrews. It's like he's talking to Elisha. It's like he's talking to these in Luke chapter 9. You need to pay close attention to what you've heard so that you don't drift away from it. What was happening in the book of Hebrews? What was the Paul's purpose of writing Hebrews? Because these people had come to a fullness of Christ. They had experienced Jesus. And then he was beginning to watch them begin to drift. He was watching them just kind of fade away. Kind of like, I want to go back and kiss my mom and my dad. I want to have another Guinness. I want to have another whatever meal, whatever, whatever would bring comfort. Maybe somebody was on their way to church this morning and they just jumped in the race. They just ran away. I wanted to stand outside and go, what are you running from? Anyway, that's a whole other subject. That will be your next year's evangelistic outreach. This is the finish line. Jesus is the finish line. Cut your race short. You'll win. Tell them, you'll win if you come in here to church. You lose if you go all the way that way. And then give them a Guinness. But I want us to just for a moment boil down into a couple thoughts. What was it that wanted him or even brought into him this, this thought that when it was brought to him, the call of God, that he began to question He'd begin to consider. And of course, we could talk about one of the most dangerous truths that there is. It's it's the dangers of distraction. The Bible was saying in Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible was saying through Jesus in Luke 9, and of course in 1 Kings, He's giving them a warning about the distractions, the dangers of distractions. And what are those distractions? Number one, I think that we all think about going back because of the familiar You could call it the distraction of the familiar. The distraction of what is comfort. I I know we all like our comforts. I know that we all have certain levels of comfort zones. But when you look at the stories of those that Jesus called often, they said, let us first go back to our comfort zone. I don't like to be uncomfortable. I was reading actually in the car coming here this morning looking at Philippians chapter 2 in the Bible says that you've been called not just to Christ as your Savior, you've been called to suffer. I know a lot of people like, no, I don't want suffering. I want salvation. I want forgiveness of sins. I want my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but I don't, I don't want the suffering part. I don't want the uncomfortable part. 
You can't have, you can't have just what part of the gospel you want to have. It's a laying it all down. What is it that you're not willing to let go? When we moved to Austin 22 years ago to plant our church, probably the first year, the most difficult part in the early years was just the lack of comfort zone, the lack of friends, the lack of just knowing how to get around a city, the lack of just knowing where to go, and what to do. And we had left Baton Rouge. We had left Louisiana. We had 10 years of successful ministry, traveling, pastoring. When Lori and I got married in 1990, and God just was doing great things in the state of Louisiana for us, and that was, that was our comfort zone. Lori had never lived out of New Orleans or out of Louisiana. And so everywhere we turned, we always had open doors, and then all of a sudden the Lord speaks to us. It is Austin. March of 2000, it is Austin. That's how we moved to Austin 22 years ago. And it was out of our comfort zone. Never been to Texas, never been to Austin, didn't know a single person. And we can say 22 years later, there's some 20,000 people that claim Celebration Church their home, and, and we're seeing God do some amazing things. But if I didn't leave our comfort zone, I don't think we would ever seen the blessing of God leave His hand like we've seen. Many of you want God's blessing to leave His hand to come into your world. But God says, I need you to leave your comfort. I need you to let go of your blanket. I need you to let go of that baby bed. I just want to go back one more time and let mommy and daddy kiss me. You know what he knew? You know what Elijah was saying to Elisha? If you go back to mom and dad, you know what they're going to do. When you tell them what you're called to do, they're not going to let you go. My brothers, when I told them that I was going to go into full-time ministry, I have two career brother, military brothers, two-star generals, just amazing. And they had plans. Listen, people have plans for your life. And it doesn't include God. <laughs> and I had to come to the day, and I knew that that conversation was going to happen when I had to tell my brothers, I'm going to serve Christ and I'm going to go into the ministry. And they literally said to me, if you go and serve God, you're going to be wasting your God-given talents. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? And I had to have that hard conversation. See, I don't think the greatest consideration, and I'll talk about it in just a minute, but I just think, number one, we just, we just want the comfort zones. And, of course, we get insecure. Number two, we, we, we go back, and that's the distraction of family and friends. And really what kept me for many years... From that July, if you will, that summer of 1978 until 1987, was I was more connected to my friends than I was connected to my calling. And then when I had that radical, dramatic conversion of Christ, I realized I can't go back to my friends. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't want us to have friends. In fact, you can't do ministry alone. But the, but the reality is I knew when I left LSU, I went back home. I went back to my hometown, but the Lord said, you're not here for the purpose of connecting again for your friends. You're here to connect to my word. You're here to spend time with me. And for a year, I moved back, and I did nothing but read the word, and just God began to retool me. But I will say that a lot of us, the second distraction is our family. It's our friends. It's our boys. It's our girls. And we end up, in fact, last night, watching these four that we were talking to last night, Three of them were pretty hardcore. I could tell if I went there with the gospel, it was going to be a fight. <laughs> but this one guy, he came and he, he was getting, if, if we had longer, he would have sat in my lap by the end of the night. He's like, what do you do? Just tell me about your life. And uh, it became that, it's like if we had time. And I can just tell you, it's probably, he's crying out. He was crying out for relationships. 
Here's a third thing. Of course, it's fear. We go back and we have the distractions of fear, the uncertainty. Well, I have cows. I have oxen. I have this career. I have everything in my hand. I'm successful. He's probably running quite a farm. He's probably got a very successful career and probably making a lot of money. He is plowing. He is, things are working for him. And now he's got to let it go. And God, of course, is not necessarily telling you to quit your job or to quit your life as it relates to your career. But God does want to know who's Lord, who's master, who's king. And of course, ultimately, that is a sign and a symbol in our tithing. Because when we can't give to God our tenth, when we can't give God our first, that really is saying the Lord of your life is really your money. It's really your career. And I think probably more than anything else, he was fearful of the unknown, not just in his faith, but the unknown of how am I going to be supplied for? How is God going to take care of my needs? And we know what the Bible says. God supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory. He says, I know every bird and I know every sparrow and I know every hair that is on your head. And if I know those kind of details and if I know those kind of intimate understandings of birds and hair on your head, I can take care of you. What's holding you back? Here's another one we don't often realize, but we, we have what I call the distraction of faults. Who am I? Joe, if you knew how bad I was, if you knew what I've done, if you knew the abortions, if you knew the women I've been with, the men that I've been with, if you know this, if you know how many people I've disappointed, how can God use me? How could God not just save me, but how could I ever stand on a platform and communicate the gospel? This is precisely why he came. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what he did on the cross for us. He's already atoned for it. Eye has not seen, the ear has not heard the things that God has already ready for you. But in your mind, and of course in the human nature, no, I gotta, I gotta get some things right. No, God says it can't get right until I step into your world and I make it right. One of the things I have oftentimes in our ministry, people come up, Pastor Joe, you don't know what I did last night. And I'll say things like this. It's okay. How can it be okay? Because of what Christ did on the cross. He didn't just take care of our past sins. He took care of our future sins. And our present sins. We're saved. He's already bore our judgment. Do you understand something? There is a judgment day, but that is not the kind of judgment that you and I will have as Christians. He already had that day for us. He's already bore our judgment. I'm not going to have a day of judgment because Christ was judged already for me. You either believe it or you don't. And that's the good news. My day will be a day of releasing of rewards. That's that judgment day for the believer. But when you identify with Christ, the Bible says you're dead. You died. But not only did you die, all of the past died, all of your faults, all your failures. Here's another one that keeps us from going. In fact, it'll hold us back. It can be honestly the distraction of faith. And ultimately it comes down to this. Do I believe that Jesus is true? Is he the way, the truth, and life? For me, this is what brought me to my line of committing my whole life to him. And that is, he was true. He's the absolute truth. And I do believe that there are absolutes. We live in a world today that says, no, there are no absolutes. I always say, get up on top of that roof 
and I have an absolute feeling you will absolutely hit the ground. Let's prove this. It will absolutely happen. And absolutely, we know who Jesus was. He was the Lamb of God by all that we know that every man in every world has tried to say it wasn't real and it just continues to come forth. It's true. And I love what C.S. Lewis says about Jesus. He's either a lunatic, he's either a, lo- a liar, or he's what? He's, he's Lord. And so the reality is that it just comes to this place of faith. Do I believe who he is? Do I believe this Bible? And I think ultimately, as we get farther and farther into this world that we're living in now, you're going to realize all you really have is this book right here. And when I say this book, I mean the word of God. Let every man be a liar, but let every word be true. Do you know what I did to you? And you're thinking about going back. I got to get Ryan moved back into his apartment. In fact, if you guys would like to help, we'll do a transfer. I'll just take the rental car from here, Ryan. Why would you go back? Why are you going to... Elijah to Elisha. What do you think this is? Here's something I want you to get. So he says... You're going to go back and you're going to want to kiss your mom and you're going to want to kiss your dad. He goes, do you think I'm going to be standing here waiting on you? Do you think I, I'm not going to move? You know, there are, the Bible says there are days of visitation. And it says, harden not your heart in the day of visitation as they did in the day of provocation. And they grieve God. They got Honestly, they got hard-hearted. Anytime God speaks to you, the Bible talks about this process of hardening our hearts. If we're not careful, today if you hear His voice, don't resist, don't reject. And I think what Elijah was saying to Elisha in the picture of God is that when He comes to a man, and we know that He's a God of mercy. We know that He came a second time to Jonah. We know the second times, even with Peter, who denied the Lord with swearing and with cursing, and God came again to him. We know that, thankfully, God is the God who comes again and gives us another chance. But listen, every time, though, we reject, every time we resist, every time we say, not now, I think there's a warning. And we think that we can just go back sometimes to that moment when God did give us that chance. We just think like Samson. Watch this. Remember when Samson was finally lying in the lap of Delilah? And he goes, you know what? I'm just going to get out of this situation. I'm just going to get saved like I always do. And God's going to deliver me like he always has. And the Bible says he did not know that the Spirit of God had departed off of his life. He supposed that he would have all this time in the world. Guys, don't suppose that you're going to be alive tomorrow. Don't just assume that I got another week to get saved or I got another month or I can handle that after I'm married or after I have built my career or after I've built my family or after I have done this or I've done that. Then I'm going to give my life to Christ. Hell is filled with people who would say, God, I was going to do it tomorrow. And so I think Elijah was saying to Elisha, it doesn't work that way. And immediately, When he realized 
He sacrificed. He, he laid it all go. The Bible says, Paul says, I no longer live, but it's Christ that liveth in me. I lay it all down. He's worth it. I've got news for you. Jesus even said, any man that follows me in this world will receive a hundred times more. See, God is a God of rewards. He is a God of fruitfulness. He is a God who loves to bless. But you've got to trust him. You've got to lay it all down. Because ultimately, I think Elijah saying to Elisha, you mean go back when God has offered you fellowship? When God has offered you forgiveness? When God has offered you mercy? When God has offered you purpose? You mean you want to, you want to live for this world? You want to stay in this world that is going to die and be judged and come to an end? And the Bible tells us it ends in darkness. But I've got a world for you that will never end. And those who believe in me will never die. And I will write their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And no man shall erase them. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.